Just reading Fritz's messages. Fritz says, initially Fritz says, Oh my God, I finally experienced the start of a live stream in real time. Question mark. <laughs> good, uh, good evening. Are we evening? We're quarter to five in the afternoon. Fritz says, uh, he always misses the start. Or it's in the middle of my night. The world is waiting. Oh, jeez. I'm talking to myself. Am I playing with... Oh, I'm playing myself on that screen. See, and this is this is what happens inside the sausage factory, Fritz. It's all uh, it's all winging it. He says, the world is waiting. Another adventure-packed episode of the Troy Hunt Security and Beyond show. Brenda's excited. George is here. All right, let's do this. Cool. First time having a beer in a weekly update for a while. I've... Uh, I put on my best black T-shirt. I've done my hair. We're going to a nice dinner. Nice dinner tonight. <laughs> Very nice dinner, which I'm really looking forward to. So I am going to hard cap this in 45 minutes from now, just in case we get carried away on various things. Uh, but uh, I might share some photos of that later. In fact, we're going to a place I did share some photos of only a few weeks ago. First time I went there. Epic, like, Japanese sushi bar kind of place that was, I think it was 10 courses. I can't remember exactly because I had sake pairing as well, uh, which was great. It was I was going to say it was a memorable experience. I have photos from the event. It looked awesome at the time, so we're going to go and do that again. Uh, and take Ari as well. I think uh, I think as a 13-year-old gentleman now, he's he's ready to experience the the delights <laughs> of the sushi bar. Let's talk about sponsors. I want to do a, a big shout-out today to Collide, a long-term sponsor, a sponsor of many, many episodes in the past and many episodes to come in the future as well. Clyde ensures only secure devices can access your cloud apps, which are the best devices <laughs> to access your cloud apps. It's device trust tailor-made for Okta. Book a demo today. Now, Clyde did send me through some more info, which uh, which I do want to share because I think the Okta integration piece is important. Uh, Okta does some amazing stuff, and it's, uh, again, a lot of friends at, at Okta. They have been a previous sponsor as well. In fact, Okta's built a bunch of stuff on Pwn Passwords, which we're going to talk about today. But for Collide, uh, big news, if you're an Okta user, you can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. If the device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they've fixed the problem. It's that simple. Collide patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, device compliance, which is a pretty good point because you want to have all this zero trust where nothing should trust anything else in the network with the assumption that everything is going to be evil, but is your device actually up to scratch if it's going to get on the network and play the zero trust game? Without Clyde, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date. Unsecured devices are logging into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. How many times do I have this <laughs> in days gone by, right? The number of things that end up in your environment that aren't part of a, a managed or organized compliance program, uh, and then they're on there. And incidentally, Clyde didn't ask me to say all this. I just thought I'd read this this time because I did send me a bunch of stuff as we've updated some of the messaging. Uh, and uh, I do think that it's it's some pretty cool stuff. So uh, built to work seamlessly with Okta, moment Clyde's agents detect a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. Harsh but fair. <laughs> Clyde's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. So we're going to be running the Collide campaign, for want of a better term, at collide.com that's collide with a k k-o-l-i-d.com forward slash troy hunt so go and check out uh, collide give them a good run uh, as i've said many times before sponsors are a really important part of helping me do uh, what i do so go and book your demo at collide.com 
What's this, Troy Hunt? Who else is here? Trady Trev, you never get carried away. I have to talk about a bunch of stuff I got carried away with. I'm playing with something that's so cool at the moment, which I don't think I can talk about yet. I keep pinging the particular vendor going, can I talk about it? Can I talk about it? Can I talk about it? Because it's really, really neat. And I'm looking at it over here on the screen because I just set up today. And it, I love this. It's so good. I'll talk about it soon. Uh, I had a, a different vendor of a totally different thing pop up overnight and say, can we send you our thing? Because I had tweeted something related to it during the week. Uh, and I'm always cautious about this stuff because as soon as someone sends you something, there is an expectation that you will say certain things about it. And, and I wrote a blog post in 2017 now about how I choose what I'm going to endorse. And uh, in there, I said, look, uh, my response to any of these organizations is, you're welcome to send me things. And if it's something that I would use anyway, then I will talk about it. And I'm going to tell everyone you sent this to me. And if I don't like it, I'm going to tell everyone I don't like it. And you don't get to control any of the messaging whatsoever. I had another organization very recently say, look, we want to send you some stuff. And it was effectively like, here's what we want you to say. and We want to see what you're going to say before you say it. Uh, so I said, please don't send me stuff. <laughs> like literally do not send me stuff because you don't get to control the narrative. And I think it's a little bit of that that old adage of like trust takes a long time to build and then you can just screw it all up in the blink of an eye. So anyway, the cool thing I'm looking at here, it will make sense to everyone because the organization I have a great relationship with and it's really, really cool. I'm going to share this as soon as I can. Uh, the other thing coming up, uh, I, I set that expectation with them today and they're like, yep, sweet, fine. Can we just send this stuff? So yeah, cool. All right. <laughs> I've got a good use case for it, so I'll share it. Ah, I made a list today uh, as i tend to do uh ah the barbecue <laughs> let's talk about the barbecue yeah. connected barbecue seemed like such a good idea at the time um let's break this into two parts connectivity bit and then we'll talk about the barbecue and the smoke a bit every time i share something that's iot and i share a frustration with it i will very quickly get many comments cc internet of shit and if you haven't seen Internet of Shit on Twitter before, it's, it is hilarious because there's so much stuff that gets connected that frankly does seem a bit shitty. The barbecue, I, I feel, is is not one of those only in so far as there is a valid use case for connecting stuff. And the, the valid use cases are probably threefold that I can think of. So one is being able to monitor the temperature. Let's say I'm up here and the barbecue's down there and we're talking about, like, this is not like when I'm cooking steaks on a hot grill and we're going to be done in 10 minutes anyway. This is the sort of thing that takes many, 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 many hours. So being able to see the current temperature of the barbecue, useful. Uh, the other thing is, is it's a pellet smoker. So as we learned last night, as we were smoking, what were we smoking last night? Chicken, beer can chicken. <laughs> beer can chicken with a shot of tequila. I tweeted that essay, it was great. When you're smoking something and it uses these pellets, there's a sensor. And when the pellets fall beneath the sensor, it starts beeping. It would actually be useful when I'm up here and I can't hear the beeping down there to have like on my watch or the Sonos over there could speak and go, hey, the smoker needs more pellets. And then the third thing that's useful is it does have a temperature probe. And the idea of the temperature probe is it goes inside your meat. You then have some expectation of a temperature that the meat should reach. It would be nice to know when it reaches that temperature because now we need to go and do things with the barbecue, <laughs> namely take the meat off it. I've got uh, an Inkbird 
uh, thermometer, which I've shared online before. Uh, a company called Inkbird, they have four separate probes that I've been using in the oven. Uh, it's also how I broke my oven, but that's another story. Four separate probes. So you can have, you know, different pieces of meat in there and you put a probe in each one. And that's got a very simple companion app and it will not only notify you on the app, but the app is a really, really easy way of using what is otherwise a pretty crappy interface on a little plastic device with buttons. It's a good way of setting uh, target temperatures on there so that when you reach the target temperature, the thing beeps. So it's down there in the kitchen. If I'm up here, people down there are hearing it, and then I get the alert on the phone. So there are valid use cases for internet on these things. If it's done right. Now, I, I had many, many flashbacks to the fan. So I have a big-ass fan over the top of my head now. Uh, incidentally, I have... <laughs> you're going to have to be careful what you Google here, and I don't want to get distracted by it. However, there is a Twitter account called Big Ass Fans. They make fans, ceiling fans, that spin round and cool your room down. And I started following them as I was going through IoT problems with the fans. I have since discovered that they're hilarious because they keep tweeting it like Elon Musk complaining that they keep getting tagged in, let's just say, content that's not really relevant to cooling of a room. <laughs> you can imagine where this is going. And because I couldn't help myself, I did a search for the Twitter handle and I got very distracted. That's, that's all we'll say. But anyway... Funny folks, uh, all my fans are working beautifully now. I do actually have the remote control that sits on my desk in case I want to manually control it. Plus, there's an app, plus Home Assistant integration, fantastic. It was painful to get working primarily because the firmware was very, very out of date when the device shipped. It needed the old app from a company called Haiku, which used to make these fans, and then Big Ass Fans bought it, and then they have a new app, but you can't move it to the new app until you use the old app to update the firmware. And I just had like endless problems making it work, which is the problem with my barbecue. Big sip of beer before I have to explain this. Mm. Stefan's here. Morning, Stefan. Twice in one day <laughs> for you and I. Um, we will get back to Stefan's, uh, I don't want to say exploits, uh, wonderful results of this week in just a moment. Back to the barbecue. So I just started screen capping the problems. Now, like the Big Ass Fan, there are two apps. And also like the Big Ass Fan, it seems to be that there's one app which is like for the old firmware and then one app which is for the new firmware. And... I'm trying to update the firmware from version 1.2, the Celsius version. Apparently, there's a Celsius version and a Fahrenheit version. Another fun fact I learned the other day, because somewhere in the Twitter thread, someone said, uh, you know, talking about temperatures for barbecues, and I said, is it Celsius or Fahrenheit? And someone said, oh, it's, it's always Fahrenheit when you talk about grilling because it's American. And I, I wondered um, how many countries do actually use Fahrenheit? look at it again now how many countries is because even in the uk which likes to have like a foot in both camps of like imperial and metric they don't use fahrenheit it's still like you've still got miles right but it's celsius now um i learned that there's like seven countries in the world that use fahrenheit and it's basically like the usa and liberia and a few others <laughs> or cayman islands just move on already move on it's so easy Freezes at zero, boils at 100. Everything else in between, you work it out. Anywho, so I needed the Celsius version. So this barbecue actually ships with uh, a 
hard etched degree C on the front. I noticed from some of the photos I've seen on the internet, you get degree C and degrees F, some options. This is just degree C. You know it's a conversion because every time you press the up arrow to increase the temperature, it doesn't go like 10 degrees, 15, 20, 25. It goes like 12 degrees, 17, 23 degrees, 28. And it's like someone has done the mathematics in here and all it's doing, like you can't just pick nice, even round Celsius numbers. Anyway, so it's on 1.2 and I'm trying to upgrade this thing and I keep getting screen caps as I go along. And it had, there is, it basically broadcasts its own IP. You connect to the barbecue with your phone. So yes, your barbecue is a wireless access point. You connect to the barbecue with your phone. You give it the Wi-Fi credentials of your network. And then you get booted off because now it's killed its access point and it's trying to actually connect to your local access point. So now it's like, YOLO, you're on your own barbecue because I can't connect to you anymore. Uh, and then hopefully once it's on the same network, then you can fire up the app and it will see your barbecue on the network and then you can start upgrading firmware. I've just got all these screen grabs, which is like attempting to update the grill. But then the the little uh, LCD display on the, is it LCD? It's the one where they just light up numbers. Anyway, it's saying like updating, updating, and then successful. And uh, I actually see, an, I really only got three characters here. SUC, successful. I'm seeing my photo on the grill, successful. Uh, and then I connect to the other app, which I believe is the newer one, to update the new version of firmware. It says, please enter your Wi-Fi network and name, and then you enter everything in. Uh, and then that didn't work. And then I went back to the other app, and it went up to version 1.3, the Celsius version of the firmware. So I managed to get it to 1.3, but I can't get it beyond there. And looking at the firmware versions on the Green Mountain Grills website, apparently it goes up to about 1.8. And then it's weird too, because then I go to the new app and I try to connect to the barbecue and it says firmware update required. And then I've got what looks like a host name of my barbecue. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. My barbecue has a host name. Uh, and then you, um, you go on. And it says, your firmware is not compatible with the new app update process. Update to the latest firmware using the old app to proceed. But then the old app won't get me there. And I'm in this nasty cycle of not being able to update the firmware on my barbecue. And I don't know how to fix it. And it's not like I noticed the newer version. I only realized there was a slightly newer version of the barbecue after I bought this one. The newer one has a USB-A port. So it looks like you can actually upgrade from a thumb drive or something. Anyway, it cooks good. <laughs> so, so I spent all this time talking about the bloody software and the barbecue, but it does cook good. Uh, the fact that it smokes pallets means that even when you're not cooking anything, it smells great. And we've had a bunch of tradespeople through the house this week doing things that I'll talk more about later on. And uh, they'd walk into the house and like, oh, this is amazing. What smells so good? It's like, well, I just turned the barbecue on. There's no meat on it yet, but it's smoking the pallets. And So it is fun. We're going to do a brisket tomorrow. It'll be our first brisket. So I'm quite excited about that. All right. What's in the comments here? Trady Trev says, I do love my IT gear. Some of it is so useless. Changed over an exhaust fan with an odor sensor and Bluetooth built in. It was worth $400. Chris says, Stefan is a guy deserving us buying him beers. Whatever for him, outstanding contribution. Have I own code? Absolutely. So do buy Stefan beers. Stefan will be at NDC Oslo in May. That's a great chance. Take him down to... Brewdog or Crowbar, <laughs> I wish I was going to that. I'd really like to go to that. Uh, 
But yeah, go and buy him beers for all the reasons that we'll talk about a little bit later on with pwned passwords. Gordon says 14 according to Bing. I believe that's countries supporting Fahrenheit. I'm going to take a guess at it and say other than one, none of them are... This is going to sound really offensive probably to a bunch of these countries. None of them are noteworthy. It would be like Sierra Leone or... It's, yeah, okay, it's not like France or somewhere like that. Uh, the smaller countries in in other places in the world. Uh, stop now. <laughs> Stefan's always up for beers. He also says, who knew IoT firmware updates would ever be hard? When I was writing the IoT series on my, my blog, after doing a bunch of stuff here, one of the points I made when we think about consumers working with technology is that IoT does really need to be self-healing. Um, I am all for the, the principle of having updates and regular updates. I love the fact that my phone, like I put it on the charger, I get up the next day and a whole bunch of stuff is updated and it's great. <clears throat> we should be self-healing in a way that doesn't break things. <laughs> We've all had software updates before that have broken things. But let's say it's my mum and dad and they get the barbecue and they just want to use the app to get an alert when they're out the back and it's, you know, the meat's hot enough. Like they shouldn't have to be going through clunky firmware update processes. You should plug it in and it updates. I vehemently dislike this principle of a barbecue broadcasting a wireless access point and you have to connect to that in some kludgy, mucky hack just to try and then give it the Wi-Fi credentials of your network. Um Geez, even connecting via Bluetooth seems like a better way. But anyway, Chris says you've got to wonder when the return on the investment will be complete. What technology is in the barbecue that will save you time? Well, again, if uh, if I had have known about things like the pallets running out, that would have actually been quite useful. Um, it would save me going upstairs and downstairs to keep looking at the temperature if I got an alert when the temperature was done. And these are not life-changing things, right? They're like they're minor things in the scheme of things. And the fact that I don't have the barbecue working properly with the IoT, but we're still making awesome food is probably testament to the fact that it, it doesn't matter that much. <laughs> Merrick says a whole new meaning to bricking the barbecue. I have been wondering, like, if I mess around with this enough, will we go to cook one day and it'll just be like, nah, nah, you've, you've, you've basically bricked the barbecue. We cannot, we cannot boot. You're on your own. Trady Trezor's thermostat doesn't sound like something to pull apart. Couldn't flash it directly with a serial adapter. I see no visible adapters uh, or no visible ports on this barbecue. We'll see. Uh, I, I did actually get good support from Big Ass fans when I, I started tagging them in tweets about how problematic it was. So I might try doing that with Green Mountain Grill as well because the grill itself is, is actually great. It's a beautiful machine. Uh, it's so simple. It's so easy to clean. We're really enjoying using that with, with Ari as well, getting... Getting uh, getting our son actually cooking <laughs> is lovely. Richard's here. G'day, Richard. He says, I wonder if your grill doesn't have a web server on it you could connect to directly and request updates through. I don't have it plugged in at the moment. Otherwise, I might have tried just hitting that IP on port 80 and just, just seeing what happens. But maybe the next time I fire it up, we'll give it a little port scan and see what actually comes up. It's a curious question. Data breaches. Boy, it has been a busy week of data breaches. Now, I mentioned last week when I did this video that there was something coming up that was very sizable. Um, I want to talk a little bit about those and give a little bit more background than what I have publicly before. 
So there are two data breaches that I pushed out on Saturday. One of them is called Instant Checkmate, and one of them is called Truth Finder. Without knowing what I know now, if I was to look at either of these websites, I would say they feel on the shadier end, insofar as it seems like massive data aggregators where you can search through people's personal data and find information. And their knowledge and consent of how the site works would be questionable. Uh, now, inevitably, they agreed to the terms and conditions when they entered that contest, which they read. We know they read them because they checked the box, which says I've read them, and they agree to them. But I imagine that their data collection methods, like many data aggregators, uh, are very similar to that, and they probably come from other sources where there is, let's call it implied consent rather than informed consent. Now, I say that because on the surface of it, it feels shady, and I expected to have problems with it. And... When I tried reaching out to people, I did have trouble getting a response. Uh, a journalist who I know and trust also had problems. So I went onto Twitter and I said, does anyone have I like, I didn't say, hey, these guys have been breached. So I said, does anyone have a security contact at? Now, people do read between the lines <laughs> when I say that. And this was at a time where it had already been on a popular hacking forum, I think at that time for about a week. Uh, and it's significant too. It was more than 20 million records between the two of them. Same company runs them both. Anyway, where I'm going with this is that they did get in touch with me and they were fantastic. And they did everything that I would hope an organization would do once I actually have contact. They were expeditious. They applied urgency to it. Uh, we had a Zoom meeting. We looked at each other. Uh, they seemed like nice people. And they they've, basically, they just did a really, really good job of handling it once they knew about it. It was too hard to get in touch with them. I didn't even bother looking for security.txt because I know damn well it wouldn't have been there. Probably still isn't there either. But they did do a good job of it once they found out. So the mechanics of it. Uh, instant checkmate. Both these incidents related back to 2012. They had 12 million records in instant checkmate. 87% of those were in Have I Been Pwned. And then Truthfinder, only 8 million records. Uh, also from 2019, 68% of those already in have been pwned. Both of them had S-crypt hashes as well, so for passwords. So at least, at least that's good. And to be clear, this was not the personal data of the people whom you could search for there, but this was actually people who had signed up to the service. It was their personal data. Now, because I've got a lot of breaches to talk about, I'm going to touch on the comments again here before I lose the thread. Tura says, I really should have stick to the basic system. You download the firmware to a USB stick and plug it in and or make an app that presents your phone via USB. As a, But like having to put stuff on USB feels very 2000. <laughs> you know, like it, it feels like a long time ago. Tura also says, the auto part of IoT sounds nice, but auto will also mean auto brick. And, and that's a very fair point too. It's kind of what I said when we've all had software updates before that have screwed something up. Now, to, to be fair, like I've, I think it's actually been a long time since I've had an update on either my iThings, watch, phone, iPad, or my PC things, PC here, laptop, uh, and then all the shard stuff, and then all the kids stuff. It's been a long time since any of those are broken. But obviously, when it does break, it's really bad news. And even now, for things like all my Ubiquiti network gear, for example, I don't have auto updates on anything 
primarily because I don't have the same degree of confidence in that as, say, an iPhone. The iPhone, like you get up every day, it's updated, and other than a, a major iOS up, well, I guess any iOS up, you've still got to manually take, but particularly the major ones, you know, it's only once a year. So it's got to be resilient, and you've got to have confidence in it as well. Trader Trev said, CSA's Matter is meant to make IoT more easy. We just have to wait for new products at the market. Now, Matter is a massive one, actually. So Matter is meant to be our unifying standard across software products. Now, just for, for fun and purely coincidentally, I have on my desk garage door stuff. So I've been tweeting a little bit <clears throat> over the week about uh, doing a bunch of stuff in our garage for multiple reasons, but to try and make it a really slick space to put really nice stuff. <laughs> we'll talk more about that later on as well. But one of the things I want to do is get a new garage door. Uh, it, it's kind of funny, like this this house looks great. And when I share photos, people are like, oh, why are you like ripping out the kitchen or replacing the garage? Because it looks really good. But you peel back the surface just a little bit and you realize how screwy things are, including the fact that we have a garage where you have two cars uh, Richard's been there, uh, and in front of that you have a carport where you have two cars, but it's kind of open. But the garage always has leaves and dust and shit blowing in there, so it's always a bit of a mess. And when the garage door people came out during the week, they said, well, the door that you've got on there was never meant for a garage. It's literally got slats and holes in it, so stuff just blows right through. So getting more garage doors, and I'll flick through to the page here. And the lady who came out was very nice. Kind of cool, actually. She had a van, which was almost like converted into a quasi-garage, and she opens the back of the van, and it's like a garage door, and then that comes up, and you see all the motors and stuff. It was pretty cool. But in here, they talk about the smartphone control kit, and she said, it's great because it's smart, and there's this app, and everything you need is in this app. And I'm just going, oh, not another fucking app. Like, how, many, how many apps <laughs> do I have by now? Uh, and to their credit, they did connect me with people who are meant to be able to give me some some better answers on this. But the smart app is meant to be able to do all the stuff you expect to do with the garage. Open the garage. Close the garage. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. But there's one here as well that uh, also has an integrated camera. So you can see what's in the garage. I don't know that because I've got lots of ubiquity stuff. Um, they have wireless safety beams. We don't have safety beams at the moment. Apparently now, I'm not sure if it is a legislative, you got to have it, <laughs> if it's a requirement or just an optional thing. But, uh, you know, having a safety beam so the door can't come down if there's like a car in the way, being able to sense that would be kind of handy. So all of this stuff would actually be quite useful to have in your IoT system. Can't remember exactly how we got onto this other than the barbecue, but the point is, is that there's so much stuff we're looking at now, which is its own, oh, matter, its own enclosed ecosystem. And in a perfect world, you'd go, well, these folks here, they support the matter standard and they can integrate with, if you want to do your Alexa stuff or your Siri stuff or your Google Home stuff, that's great, your Home Assistant stuff, beautiful. But we still have all of these bespoke independent ecosystems and Home Assistant is just like, trying to tie them all together with integrations. Marek said, didn't Samsung want to lose control of an old firmware update domain for a while? That sounds like something that would happen, yeah. 
Uh, Stefan says, matter is going to take time to mature, but it's promising. Agree with all that. Um, the feeling I have, and this even relates to the new thing that I installed today that I can't talk about just yet, but there's so much cool stuff that we get to play with now that is in its infancy, and we get to we get to be the dog food. Well, not so much the dog food as we didn't necessarily build it, but we, the beta testers. Uh, and there will be a time where we look back at this and we go, well, this is all just very normal and amazing. But we were there at the beginning. And that means being there at the beginning, we have to go through all of the teething problems that they have with them. Next breach, Lime VPN had 23,000 unique email addresses breached in 2020. Also included physical and IP addresses, phone numbers, orders, and salted MD5 password hashes. Good on you guys. <laughs> salted MD5 in 2020. You know, like you don't want a data breach in anything, but you kind of feel that in a VPN provider, that doesn't necessarily mean they expose logs that tie IP addresses of the inbound request to the IP address of the outbound request, but you do hold a VPN provider to a higher standard, I would argue. Next breach. We. Now that's we with uh, three E's. Asian Hispanic food delivery service. We. At 1.1 million unique email addresses from 11 million orders appear on a hacking forum this week. Data include names, phone numbers, and delivery instructions. Now, someone brought this to my attention. I remember when I first looked at it, about seven hours after it first appeared on the hacking forum. Uh, I verified it very quickly and tried to get in touch with them. It didn't work. <laughs> I tried. I was actually going to start to, I wasn't going to name names. I was going to start to just detail the roles of each person. But I tried their contact us form. I tried DMing them on Twitter. I went to LinkedIn and I contacted an SVP of engineering. Don't quote me on that, but it was similar to that. Uh, I contacted, I think, the CTO. I got nothing. I The next day, I then tweeted. It's like, has anyone got a security contact at we? I still didn't have any answers. So, so actually, someone did email me uh, an email address of someone else in a VP level or C-suite level, emailed them as well. And eventually, someone did email me from we and said, yes, we're aware of this. Uh, and of course, it's in the news as well. So that was, that was frustrating. That should have been easier. But anyway, that was the week in data breaches. So what did we do? We did, jeez, uh, it was a big week. Because it was we, Lime, Truthfinder, and Instant Checkmate. Now, just as a, a general rule of thumb, each time I've done the numbers, over the long term, I tend to load about a data breach every four days. So to do four in a week is a, is a big week. And there's a lot more to come too, a lot more outstanding there. Stefan says, I wonder how many vulnerabilities in that app. Uh, I assume you mean this one. <laughs> I don't know. Good question. Richard, this is the smart home routine. Get a new device with an app. You set up the device in the app, and then you figure out the HA integration so you don't have to use the app anymore, which is pretty much it. Stefan said, wasn't that VPN provider with salted MD5s? Yeah, so Lime had salted MD5s. You still see a lot of salted MD5s. Trade Trust, you can totally understand why some like to do self-hosted VPNs. I, I know why you say that, but I, I hate the idea for so many reasons. Um, 
I've seen people time and time again go, well, if you self-hosted this, that wouldn't be a problem. Well, yeah, but now you've got other problems, not least of which is that you own the VPS, which hosts the VPN. So that's usually attributable back to you, but you're using a VPN for privacy. Not to mention, let's say Nord. You know, one of the value propositions there, as a Nord strategic advisor, full disclosure, one of the value propositions is they've got exit nodes all over the place. So if I want to be in Norway today and New Zealand tomorrow, it's like, okay, well, I can do that. That's that's an easy thing to do. And there are many good reasons why you might want to do that. So having someone else manage the exit nodes and manage the whole infrastructure, uh, and then the trick is choosing a trustworthy one. <laughs> so, you know, maybe... Maybe Lime VPN obviously wasn't the most trustworthy. Just as I've thought about Smartify my garage door using just a switch bot to push the manual button and being linked into HA, which is what I do with my air conditioner because I've got no choice. Where I was starting to get to with this one as I started to Google around about home assistance support is you start finding articles about wiring a Shelly 1 into the terminals of the garage door, which is exactly what I have to do with the one at the moment that's 17 years old. And the thing that that really bugs me about that is if, if this is a new device that's smart and connected, I shouldn't have to get to the point where I'm literally soldering freaking wires into a garage door in order to be able to open it with my watch and see it in Home Assistant. So we'll see. I'm still waiting for answers from these guys. Richard says, I took a garage door remote apart and wired a relay for just that purpose. Well, you know, again, like this, this, is, this is what we have to do a lot of the time. All right, let's talk about the good stuff that Stefan has been doing this week with pwned passwords and NTLM hashes. Keep in mind, I've got about 10 minutes before I have to go to my, uh, my excellent <laughs> Japanese dinner. So in the beginning, we had... SHA-1 hashes for pwned passwords, not because we should store passwords as SHA-1 any more than LimeVPN should have stored them as salted MD5, but because SHA-1 gave us a way of distributing all of the hashes across a finite character range. That allowed us to do k-anonymity, which was to take the first five characters of a hash and query that and then return all the suffixes, and most of you know how that works, or you can find the blog post to explain it. The thing about that is short of cracking hashes, which most people don't want to do, you can't reverse them. So if you want to compare the pwned passwords corpus to an existing set of hashes, you need to have them in the same format and not be salted, which is what Active Directory does. So we ended up rolling out NTLM hashes at the same time. And you could download the SHA-1, you could download the NTLM. Now, all of that went fine up until somewhere in 2021. Uh, and up until that time, in fact, up until yesterday, you could only query the Canonymity API with SHA-1 because it's like, well, the only reason you're querying the API is because you're building that into your authentication pipeline somewhere. So people are registering, logging on, or changing the password, points where you have the password in plain text. You can hash it, send the first five characters to Canonymity, get the response back, determine whether they're using a password that's been in a breach before doesn't matter that it's in SHA-1 and in your database you'll be encrypting everything because you've got the password in plain text. But the people using NTLM against their internal Active Directory environments really wanted NTLM. And we stopped creating monolithic behemoths of downloadable hashes when we rolled out the FBI ingestion pipeline. So the FBI is feeding fire hose of data into Have I Been Pwned from passwords found in their investigations. 
Now we're taking them into Have I Been Pwned. They're sending them in both SHA-1 and NTLM. We did that from day one with the expectation of doing what we've now done this week. But we were only updating the SHA-1 hashes because we only had an API for SHA-1. Let me rephrase that. We had the corpus of both, but we only had an API for SHA-1. And then people started saying, look, NTLM's getting out of date. Can you please fix it? And, and Stefan will attest to this as well. But something happened over the last few weeks, and I don't know what it was. We, I don't think either of us know. But more and more people started asking for NTLM. And we went, well, we've already got everything in NTLM format. We've got the FBI feeding. that They give us pairs, so they give us SHA-1 and NTLM together. Let's go and build the APIs for that. Uh, let's build the, uh, the, the downloader for that as well. So the downloader tool we launched last year where you can just go go through the entire address space on the API, download everything, save it locally. That gets rid of the need for the old monolithic corpuses of data. So Stefan this week has done all of that. Uh, we pushed it all out. I think it was about two days ago, wasn't it, mate? Uh, to the best of our knowledge, nothing broke, which is awesome. And I shared a, a graph earlier on that, that Stefan sent me from the um, from the App Insights on, on Azure, on the Functions app that sits behind it. And it shows a lot of downloads of the NTLM hashes, so inevitably people are finding that useful. We hope to see less on the Azure function side of things purely because Cloudflare sits in front of it. And as we get more requests for the NTLM stuff, Cloudflare will cache more and more and more. For the most part, it was it was pretty simple. We didn't have any problems with it. I think the only sort of issues we, we had, Stefan, for everyone's interest, is we had to change the the cache key because the cache key was ignoring the query string. So when you request NTLM, there's a mode query string. Had to change that cache key. Uh, we didn't have any automated deployment of the Cloudflare worker, which does a bunch of the caching and normalization of uh, whether you search for like an uppercase or a lowercase um, hexadecimal prefix. So we we up, upgraded all that, uh, did all the Wrangler 2.0 stuff, a nice deployment pipeline for that now. We probably won't need to change anything for a long time, so I don't know how much we're going to use it. But we rolled all that out, pushed it, and uh, I don't think anyone's really said anything. We saw a few people on the Twitters say, you know, that's great, they're now going to update their apps because there are other apps built on top of this corpus. But I haven't seen anyone complain. So, Stefan, if you have, let me know. But <laughs> everyone seems happy. So, so I start to wind up. Joshua says, what cam you're running now? So I'm running a Sony... Something, something. If you search for Troy Hunt Ultimate Home Office, you'll find the model. But it's a Sony DSLR that's then plugged into an Elgato cam link. So it allows you to have a DSLR camera. So it looks really nice. And it's really, really good at focusing and following your face too, which is kind of cool. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm super, super happy with that camera. I've had it for probably nearly three years now. Josh says, do you keep the plain text password somewhere after ingestion or are they deleted straight away? Would it be possible to re-release using whatever algorithm hopefully replaces NTLM and Windows? Uh, Two-part answer, yes or no. So up until we started doing the FBI ingestion pipeline, I had everything in plain text. And I, I literally had a great big SQL database on my local machine. When I came across a data breach that had a lot of plain text passwords, I'd put them in there. And then when we released a new corpus, I'd just go, okay, take all those plain texts and show on them and NTLM them and release that. Now, when we got to the FBI ingestion pipeline, the, the folks there 
were not keen to give us plain text, uh, which you can under. And to be honest, I can't remember which way it went. I can't remember if they said they're not keen or we said we actually don't need it. But but either way, they agreed to give us pairs. So a SHA-1 NTLM pair. So every time they call the ingestion pipeline, they're giving us two hashes, which means that we don't have them in plain text. So the, the second part of that answer is, as of late 2021, we do not have plain text versions of them. You could possibly go and crack them. I'm not sure if it's made any easier to crack them by having a SHA-1 and NTLM pair, but we don't have a reason to because the way we provide the data to everyone else, it's already hashed. So no, we don't have that. We can't just turn around and go, hey, there's someone that really wants it in like SHA-256. We can't do that. And the, the other thing is, just, just to expand on that, it it wouldn't make a lot of sense to release them in another hashing format if the goal was to compare them to hashes in your database simply because other than the NTLM situation, and Active Directory is a bit of a different beast, which I'm sure Richard can attest to, uh, anyone storing passwords in a web application these days, in fact, really for the last decade, should have been salting it anyway. And if it's salted, then we can't give you hashes that you can just compare. Stefan says ingestion pipeline doesn't receive plain text passwords. There you go. He nailed that probably faster than what I did talking about it. FBI creates show one inch before submitting. It's all fine and dandy until something breaks. Are we back on the barbecue again? Mm. Green no complaints. Josh says, how do you store data? So if you go and have a look at the poem passwords tag on my blog, you will find answers to most of the things you're asking for. But last answer before I head to my dinner. Um, we have a combination of things that go into uh, table storage on the Azure side of things. Uh, actually, no, they're going to blobs, aren't they? I started with table storage. Uh, they're in Azure storage using blobs. And then I, I guess really that the storage that's used most prevalently is Cloudflare cache. So about 99% of all requests don't hit an underlying storage construct on Azure. They hit Cloudflare cache, which is awesome. Fritz has to go. Well, if Fritz has to go, I have to go. That's that's the way it works since you were first in. Uh, so I am going to go and finish my beer and enjoy my dinner. Thanks very much for watching. I'll come back early next week, probably with loads and loads more data breaches. Hopefully I can talk about the thing that I'm so excited about over here as well. Uh, so I'll see you next week, folks, and enjoy your weekends.